0: And acting skills there, don't you agree? (laughs) I wonder which one you are, which one do you see, which glass is more like the one you think you might be. I'm Rachel and I'm one of the elders here at Andover Baptist Church, and it's my privilege to be starting this new series this morning entitled The Best Case Scenario, The Optimist's Guide to the Future. And I'm really looking forward to exploring this with us. I wonder what kind of circumstances make you anxious? Perhaps it's a family situation, just like in the video. Or maybe it's a work situation, work isn't going well, or you're looking to be promoted, you seem to be overlooked. Maybe you're worried about exams, or perhaps it's your financial situation that is making you nervous. It might not be all the time that you feel that way. It might come and go, depending on the situation, or it might be prolonged. Maybe it's your health that's not so good, or maybe you're in a relationship that's not good for you and is causing you to worry. All of these things can create real issues for us, and we can be really uncertain. And sometimes it's the world around us that causes us to be unnerved. The world feels so fragile sometimes, doesn't it? There are wars and rumors of wars. The environment is in a really dangerous situation. There are human-made atrocities, all of which can make us worry and create uncertainty in our lives. And just this week, following the horrific news in Nottingham, Interviews with residents and students in Nottingham have shown us how shaken they are and how much uncertainty people feel as a result of what's happened. Now, thinking about things that worry us or fill us with uncertainty can be hard, but you know what, during this series, we are gonna be considering how we can approach these challenges and uncertainties in a way that will allow us to remain hopeful, in a way that is a different kind of approach. We're going to discover how we can find peace in the midst of chaos, hope in the darkness, and how we can see that the the God we serve, the God we follow, and for those of us who are Jesus followers, is the same God that we can read about in the Bible through the accounts of men and women in the situations they they faced. We can find comfort in the past. And we're gonna look at perhaps one of the most uncertain moments in the New Testament part of the Bible. That's the part of the Bible that's after Jesus is born. And we are gonna look at the account of Mark. Now, Mark was one of Jesus's first disciples and he wrote an account of what had happened. And he tells us about what happened at this event where the Jesus and his followers were gonna be celebrating what's known as the Passover feast. And on this occasion, it was the final year of Jesus's ministry on earth. Now, the Passover festival was a festival the Jewish um, religion people remembered um, what had happened hundreds of years earlier when the Israelites had been in Egyptian slavery. Now, the Israelites had spent much of their history as a nation, as slaves, and they had prayed and prayed that God would help them. And for 400 years, their prayers went unanswered. But then God finally sent them a deliverer in the shape of Moses, Pharaoh almost let them go, but then on the eve of the final plague, Moses warned the Israelites that the angel of death would pass over the land of Egypt. And that every firstborn child in every home would be killed, unless the family had daubed the blood of a slain lamb onto their doorposts. That seems kind of an odd thing to say in today's society, isn't it? We don't tend to go around daubing the blood of a slain lamb on our doorposts. But in that culture, it was very much a more normal situation. And the angel of death did indeed pass over the land of Egypt and much death occurred, but it spared the Israelites. And that event caused Pharaoh to tell Moses that he could take his people and go. And they left and they crossed the Red Sea and they were free. And those in the Jewish faith celebrated the Passover feast every year to remember what God had done for them, done for them liberating them from slavery. Now, the Passover festival that Jesus and his followers were remembering um, it took place 1400 years after that original event. And this account, sometimes known as the Last Supper, you might have heard that, it took place at the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth. Now, they'd celebrated the Passover festival before as a group, but on this occasion, it was different. During Jesus' ministry, things had, a lot of the time, been great. Jesus was treated like a celebrity, followed by thousands of people. They'd seen miracles, water turned into wine, people fed, a large group of people fed from just a small amount of food. People had been healed, and some had even been raised from the dead. Thousands came to see Jesus and hear him teach. And for the disciples, they were in his inner circle. They were the closest people to him. They would have surely have felt special. But this attention from the masses had also drawn attention from another group of people. And this group of people were trying to isolate Jesus away from the crowd so that they could take him away and accuse him of things. And these were people who wanted Jesus dead And by association, that left the disciples in a pretty precarious situation. So on this occasion of the Passover feast, the atmosphere was different. It was somber and nervous. Only a few days previously, Jesus had entered Jerusalem on the back of a donkey being cheered and celebrated. But Jesus had told the disciples that when they were to go back to Jerusalem, things were going to get bad. So when the disciples were talking to Jesus saying, look, where where should we celebrate Passover? Passover and then Jesus told them Jerusalem, they probably thought he was mad. Why would he go to the very place that would um, be dangerous to him? And why would he take them with him? So sitting in that upper room where they gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate that meal, everything felt strange and scary to the disciples. And just when you think that might have been enough, And might have been bad enough. Imagine being sat with that group of people who you'd been with for the last three years. You'd traveled with, you'd eaten with, you'd slept with, um, as in sleeping. And the child, (laughs) and um, Jesus starts the conversation like this. And I'm going to read in Mark chapter 14. It'll be on the screens behind you, or you can follow along in your Bibles. And it says this When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve, that's the disciples. And whilst they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. One, he says, who is eating with me. Now to eat with someone in that culture was much like eating with somebody in our culture. It's like inviting somebody into your home, spending time with them, giving them of your best. And they're saying, by the way, I know you're going to betray me. They're in that intimate setting, and not only is Jesus saying, it's one of you that has chosen to betray me, but you're gathered around this table knowing that's what you're going to do whilst we're celebrating the amazing things that God has done for us, and yet you're still going to betray me. It goes on, they were saddened and one by one, they said to him, surely you don't mean me. It is one of the 12, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me the son of man will go that is things are going to go as god has predicted the son of man will go just as it is written about him but woe to that man who betrays the son of man it would be better for him if he had not been born how would you have felt in that moment in that room with those people your leader telling you that he was about to be betrayed by one of your very own group, one of your friends who should have been the closest people to you and Jesus. The disciples must have been stunned and now even more worried about what would happen. Mark's account continues, and while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, this is my body that has been broken for you. In other words, he was saying, this this meal isn't what you think it is. You have been eating the Passover since you were children. But from now on when you eat it, this is my body. Then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said, "This, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And he foreshadowed what was going to take place hours later when he was nailed to a cross. And died in front of their eyes. Remember, at this point the disciples don't know what's coming, they don't know the end of the story. Imagine experiencing this, not knowing what was to come. And you can read on through the chapter in, in Mark, and he it gets worse and worse. Jesus tells them that they will desert him. He prays, asks them to keep watch, and they fall asleep. And then Jesus is attacked. captured it's game over their leader is taken away and at this point just as jesus said they would they all fell away and denied their association to him and jesus was killed what must they have felt about jesus in those moments you asked the disciples later when their darkest moment was perhaps when they had the least amount of hope i think they might have said something along the lines of this you know, it's when we gathered around the table that night, when he promised us things were going to get worse and that one of us would betray him and all of us would fall away. And then, of course, we all did fall away. And then hours later, we saw him arrested, we saw him tried, and we saw him die. You want to know when the darkest hours were for us? It was those hours when we realized that we had completely wasted our time and God wasn't who he said he was. And then if you ask them, Well, when did God do his greatest work? I think they might have said something like this. Those same hours, when it seemed to us that he was doing the least, when it seemed that he was absent, that he was missing, in those darkest, darkest hours, God was doing his greatest work. And those darkest hours, when it seemed like he was completely absent, when he was completely inactive, he was actually most active. Because in those darkest hours, it was the epicenter of the salvation of mankind. These would be the hours that for literally thousands of years, people all over the world would look back on and rejoice in God's goodness and grace. But if you asked us in that moment, we would have said it was game over. You know, I think they'd be right. You see, it was at that moment of greatest torment and despair and hopelessness that God defeated death and sin forever. In what seemed like the bleakest of moments, it suddenly became the point at which everything changed. It became the point that we can all have hope. The point that enabled you and I to be able to be made new again and to be able to have eternal life. And you know, this idea of God acting in these moments when he seems to be absent, it's not anything that is new. The Bible is not a book that contains stories of rich, prosperous people, wrinkle-free fun that everyone has. Everything's going swimmingly. That's not what the Bible contains stories of. It's about people who live in extraordinary uncertainty. Every single narrative, every single passage or verse that perhaps we go back to and look to now for encouragement... They come from the stories of people who went through trial and difficulty. But from the lives of people who discovered that in the midst of uncertainty, God was still certain. In the midst of uncertainty, when you couldn't see God working, they discovered that God was still trustworthy. Think of Joseph, the one with the technicolour coat, not Mary and Joseph and the donkey. You might think that you have issues with your siblings. in his story his brothers who had been jealous of him and had bullied him and mistreated of him then chucked him in the bottom of a well and he overheard this kind of conversation shall we kill him shall we sell him shall we sell him shall we kill him imagine being in that well hearing that conversation going on would you feel like god was with you in that moment and later on in the story when he's actually shipped into slavery would he feel like god was with him But we discover that even in those places, God was with him. Even when he was traded into slavery, even when he was in the worst of situations, God was with him and turned the situation for good. Another story about King David, who had led Israel very well. One day woke to find that his own son had decided to raise an army and was about to invade the capital city and replace him as king. Now David didn't hold back on talking to God about this. He told him exactly what he thought and there didn't seem to be an answer. And for a while, David was driven away. But even in that situation, God was with him. God was still working. And what about the story of the mother who had a baby son and who like any mother who loved her son and was told that Pharaoh, same Pharaoh from Egypt, had decided to murder all of the baby boys because there were too many Israelites in the land This mother wrapped up her newborn son, put him in a basket and set him into the Nile River as if to say, if it's between the crocodiles or the Egyptian pharaoh, I'm going to take my chances with the river. She didn't know what would happen. She didn't know what would eventually be an amazing story that is Moses. But she trusted and God was with her and God was in that situation and God was faithful even when she couldn't see it every single story read them for yourself but every single story where it feels like things have spun out of control where all the momentum is backwards momentum and all god's activity has stopped and the bad guys have won you read these stories and you discover in the midst of all that uncertainty there is still certainty because of who god is god is still there he is still working even when they don't see it and they don't know it even in the stories that end badly here on earth. You know, this can be hard for us today, can't it? Because if it seems that God works in these situations of broken times or hopeless situations, and according to his timing and not ours, which seems infinitely slower than ours, doesn't it? Um, we, we can see that God takes these broken and hopeless situations and uses them. But will we still have faith when that happens to us? If we are a Jesus follower. Will we still have faith that when things in our circumstances are not going well, God is still in control? God is still there. And you might be experiencing a situation right now where you're screaming in your head, where are you, God? What are you doing? Because you just can't see it. Hold on. Because we can absolutely read back through these stories in the Bible and the countless stories of God triumphing in adversity and the Bible is a great place to go for reading about those things to give us encouragement and to build our faith but in reality how does that help with the here and now how does reading about God's faithfulness help me get a job how does it fix the difficulties my kids are having will it heal me instantly Will it undo the trauma that I've faced in my life? But whilst the knowledge of what God has done in the past doesn't change anything about our current circumstances, it does allow us to embrace the uncertainty of what we face now with the absolute certainty of knowing that God is still in control. Life may be uncertain, but God is not and he won't leave us alone. You know, when I've been preparing this talk this week I have thought a lot about the horrific incident in Nottingham. How would I be able to face, to continue to hope in the face of what has beset those families this week? It's hard, isn't it? It's all very well for me to stand here and say, come on, keep hoping, keep trusting. But when the rubber hits the road it can be overwhelmingly difficult. But I think it's important to say it is not impossible. There are many testimonies of those people who have faced hardship even to death and been able to keep hope. But the only way they've done that is by keeping their eyes fixed on God and doing everything within them to keep eyes fixed on God with the help of the Holy Spirit. And it made me think of people I know who have lived through tragedy and kept that um, hold of their faith. And one of those people is my mum. I checked with her first before sharing, don't worry. Um, My mum was married to a man called Chris and they had three children together. When my mum was 28 um, and the children were aged four, three and one, Chris sadly died of cancer, leaving my mum a a widow with the three very small children. My mum was and is a follower of Jesus and I asked her how she had kept her faith through her grief and she said this I kept on asking God why 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 and I didn't get an answer it was an extraordinarily tough time in my life but I had good Christian friends who prayed for us and we prayed too and just because God didn't answer our prayers in the way that we wanted when I looked back I could see that God had been with me through it all I had a peace which was extraordinary And it seemed that Chris did not suffer as greatly as he was expected to. People asked me how I was so positive both during his illness and after his death. And she says that the only reason was because God was with her. She says, I wasn't positive about the circumstances, but I was positive in the circumstances. And when I say it now, it seems easy to say, but the Holy Spirit enabled me to hold on to the certainty of God's promises. You know we won't understand this side of eternity why God does some things and why he doesn't intervene in situations in the way that we would want him to or that we would like but God can most definitely use even the most awful of situations to work things together for good just sometimes he takes a while and sometimes we may not even see it you might be clinging on to this hope by your fingertips Right now, because the things going on in your life might seem so overwhelming. But if you keep clinging on, you'll discover, as we talk more about this in this series, how we can have peace even in the middle of the storm, how we can have joy not in, but sorry, joy in, not for our trials, and how we can have hope in the dark. So, practically, how can we cling on to this hope? And our faith in God well I've come up with four little things I'm sure there are loads more and I'm sure lots of you will think of lots of other ones too maybe you might share them on the um, ABC community group on Facebook it's great to learn from each other and and I'd love to see some of them so the the first one I'm gonna go with is number one talk to God you know we can be really honest about how we are feeling We don't have to hold back. We can tell God exactly how it is. He knows anyway. It's not going to be a shock. Talk to him. Tell him how you are feeling. You can be real and ask him to help you have his perspective on things. I don't know about you, but when I'm in the middle of a sticky situation, it's kind of like right in front of my face. I can't see anything else going on because it's front and center. But God's perspective is further back. God can see everything else us working together and when we have that godly perspective it helps us to work through things we don't have to be fine about the situations that we are in but we can get that God perspective on a situation we've just done a whole series haven't we on the Holy Spirit and you can catch up on those series online as well and the Holy Spirit is our helper and as Chris demonstrated last week with his sleeping bag You get given a gift and don't use it. It's not going to help you. We have a gift. If you are a Jesus follower, you accept him into your life. You can have the help of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will help you in these situations. Number two, watch what you fill your mind with. You know, it's good for us to be aware of things that are happening in the world around us. But if we are constantly watching the news and constantly becoming distressed by what we are seeing, it can consume us. If we're looking online at pictures of beautiful people and comparing ourselves badly, we can lose confidence. If we're constantly talking with people who are moaning and grumbling, it will rub off on you. But you read the Bible, spending time thinking about the word of God, it will be that that consumes you. And the word of God is life-giving and life-transforming and it grows your faith and faithfulness. And do things that bring you joy and laughter. God wants us to live life to the full and to enjoy it. Number three, find something that brings you peace. Maybe it's going to a certain place. Maybe it's just a certain chair in your house that you know if you go and sit on, you're just going to have some time out. Maybe it's going to a certain place or going for a walk or doing, doing something that brings you peace and it can enable you to focus on who God is, enable you to focus on some of those things that we've talked about so that you can remember that God is in control even if your circumstances feel totally out of control. And fourthly, find a friend. Now, some of you will have some great friends already who can do this, but if you don't have someone who can speak into your life, who can pray with you and for you, you know what having a good friend like that can be a really good way of helping you get perspective, to help you get that God perspective, to help talk with you through your problems so that you can hold on to the hope you have, even when it's difficulty. It's difficult. But there's two things to this. Firstly, you have to be quite intentional about going to find a friend, and also pay attention to that friend. Pay attention to that relationship. You know, good friends don't just fall out of the sky. It'd be lovely if they did, but they don't. We work at these relationships. And secondly, it's not a green light just to go and moan at everybody, to go and tell everybody always. A good test for that is to say, are you telling everybody else, sorry, are you telling God about your problems as much as you're moaning to everybody else? So we have a certain hope that is not going to change, it is not going to fade or become obsolete. And for those of us who are Jesus followers, you know, we need to understand that with that hope comes a responsibility. You see, if you are a Jesus follower, you get to carry that hope into your world. It is not something we keep to ourselves. You get to take it into your workplaces, your colleges, your schools. When you meet up with someone for a coffee date, your social meetups, your sports teams. It's important that we don't hold on to it and keep it to ourselves. We can bring hope and light to dark and hopeless situations. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus, coming alongside people in their despair, not to fix their problem, but to bring hope and to walk through their valley with them, even when you are going through a tough time. You see, when you are surrounded by darkness, your light can shine at its brightest, and it brings glory to God. By looking to God in your struggles, you will find his certainty in your uncertainty and you can bring hope to so many others. And if today you've not yet found that hope in Jesus and you've not experienced that certainty that we can find in God, then you can begin on that journey today. The darkest moment in history for the disciples was the same moment that Jesus died for each and every one of us to make a way back to fix the relationship between us and God. And if you want Jesus to be your savior, we would love to help you do that and to support you as you begin to understand what a firm foundation he can give you. So i want to pray for us all now. Father God, you know every detail about the situations that we face. You know those tricky moments that we are going through. And you know, those of us right now who are clinging on to your hope by our fingertips. Lord, if we are followers of you, I pray you would help us to ask for your help, to keep our eyes fixed on you, to know that however uncertain all of our circumstances are in our lives, you are always certain, even when we don't see it. And Lord Jesus, for those of us who maybe are not yet a follower of you, but who wanna take that step, I'm just gonna pray now and maybe you would pray with me. Mm -hmm. Father, I know that I have messed up. I know that I have taken wrong paths and I have sinned. I've done stuff that's wrong. And Lord, I wanna say that you are my savior and I'm gonna accept you as savior into my life so that I can start to live with you as Lord of my life and the sure foundation on which I stand. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would now just come into this room. Speak to each of us. Speak to those of us who are watching online. Be really clear where it is that we need to realign our focus. Be really clear where it is that we need to take a next step to, to get our things in, in a place where we can hold on to that hope.